more than enough. So today's message is entitled, More Than Enough. So we serve a God that is more than enough. How many of you like stuff? Let's just get real this morning. You like to buy some stuff. You're in church, you can't lie. So if you like stuff, raise your hand. Okay, I was just wondering. <laughs> I like stuff. I'm a recovering stuff addict, and uh, I've gone overboard several times. I got addicted to buying new stuff. I love new stuff. Now I'm kind of into old stuff. I like to find old stuff and see if it still works, but it's still stuff, right? And so we all love stuff. We love things, and, and we love toys or whatever it is that you're after, and we, we, we love those things, and if we're not careful, those things can become our God, Right? They can become a God to us, and and if we're not careful, we'll actually replace God with our things. How do you do that? When you spend more time with your things than you do with God, you're replacing God with your things. Can I get a better amen? Well, the Bible mentions the topic of money and possessions over 2,000 times. I don't know if you realize that, but from Revelations... Well, from Genesis all the way to Revelations, over 2,000 times, God chose to put the words and the topic, money and possessions, in the Bible. You're like, man, God loves stuff too, huh? No. I don't think God's in love with stuff. He is the creator of stuff. <laughs> right? But, but God's after something. If God's going to put that topic in the Bible over 2,000 times, it might be important for us to pay attention. Look at your neighbor and say, pay attention. Might be important. Why? Why is that topic so important to God? Why is money and possession so important to God? How many of you got kids? Raise your hand. When they're zero to about 18 months, they're perfect, right? Besides a few dirty diapers, they're perfect. Somewhere around 18 months old, they discover this word that shows the rottenness of their heart. And the word is mine. Right? You put them in a room, you go see your best friend who y'all had a baby at the same time somehow or another. And you're in the room and you're like, oh, my kid's so great. And before you know, he whacks the other kid across the head and takes his toy and says, Mine! Right? What you witness in that moment is the selfishness of humanity coming out of your child. And from that day on, you go, man, I thought they were perfect. (laughs) No, they're not. (laughs) And neither are you. Right? But there was selfishness that comes out. And, And in fact, most of us, the first sin that ever came out of us was selfishness. In most cases, the first sin we ever committed was selfishness, mine. And if you're not careful, you can be an adult and still live with the mine mentality. We're in the right church this morning. If we're not careful. So why does God talk so much about money and possessions? Could it be that God knew that money and stuff would be his number one competition for our hearts? Could it be that, that our things and money and possessions would be the one thing that would compete with him for what? For our heart? Could it be that he was warning us not to fall in love with things and stuff and money because he was going to compete with your heart? He was going to compete with him for your heart? Could it be that God knew that we were going to struggle with things and we were going to struggle with money? How many of you have ever struggled with money before? I want to make sure I'm, I'm preaching to the right guy. Okay. 
I'm feeling a little resistance from you today. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Pray for me. So, so week before last, when Matthew, before Matthew came last weekend, we, we kicked the series off with a message titled, Put God First. And we talked about the importance of putting God first in your life, right? You remember, how many of you remember that message? It, it was a great message, not because I preached it, it was just a good message because it came from God and it was a, a message that I saw a lot of results from. So the message was put God first and we talked a lot about tithing. And how we should tie the full tithe and how we should give our first to God and how important it is to God that we give to him first. Think about it. When your kids do something that shows you their first, that you're first in their life, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel pretty important, right? If they come to you before they sneak out the back door to go hide from you and do what they want to do and say, hey, mom, is there anything else you need me to do? How does that make you feel? Some of you would say, well, after I wake up off the floor, and (laughs) then I realize, yeah, it feels good. But God wants to be first. Why does he want to be first? Because when he's first in your life, it says that you trust him. God just wants us to trust him. And we trust him by putting him first. So, So two weeks ago, we talked about this thing called a scarcity cycle. I mean, if you remember the scarcity cycle. We talked about the scarcity cycle, then we talked about the abundance cycle. The scarcity cycle is this, that God supplies, then we consume. The first thing we do is we consume, then we fear, then we lack, and then we consume some more. So watch this. So when God supplies your resources, the first thing you do because if you have a scarcity mindset, you think, I got to hurry up and take care of mine, you consume. Then you fear, then you lack, then you consume some more. It's called the scarcity cycle. The scarcity cycle is actually a mindset problem, not a wallet problem. Scarcity starts in the mind. It starts with the thinking that I don't have enough. I can't afford. Now listen to me. There's sometimes in your life when you're trying to be a good steward of your finances or your resources that you do need to say, we can't afford that. As bad as I want a 2018 F-250 King Ranch crew cab, four-wheel drive, jacked up, looking right, we can't afford that right now. That's not a scarcity mindset. That's just called wisdom. Come on, somebody. Right? And so scarcity starts in the mind, not in the wallet. And so we have to be careful. And so today I want you to walk out of here. My goal for you today is to walk out of here with an abundance mindset. I want to change the way you think. I want you to go from seeing God as the God of barely enough to seeing God as the God of more than enough. And I want you to understand that God can do the impossible with even the little. Is that all right? How many of you say, I'd like to walk out of here without a scarcity mindset, without any fear? Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. So here's the reality. Every choice in life is tied to your thinking. How you think is how you are. That's why I started out by saying, what is your perspective of God? How do you see God? If you see God as some strict ruler, then your perspective of God and the way you think about things in God is going to come from that, that, those thoughts of God, right? But if you see God as a loving, generous, kind, (laughs) for you kind of God, you're going to see things different. Is this making sense? 
you're going to see things different. Starts in the mind. Scarcity is a mindset. It's not a bank account problem. Amen? So today I want to look at a story in the Bible, in one of the Gospels, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. How many of you remember that story, Jesus feeds the 5,000? Let me give you a little bit of background to that story. Jesus and the disciples were leaving one meeting, basically cruising across the lake, trying to look for an opportunity to rest. And they pull up to the other side of the lake, and they get out, and they're, they're expecting to take a break. And then Jesus, the Bible says, was amazed that the crowd followed him. <laughs> they, they didn't come across the lake. They went around the lake. I mean, they were just after Jesus. And so the Bible says there were 5,000 men that came, and Jesus was moved with compassion. So they sat down. Jesus started teaching them all day long. He taught them and ministered to them the 5,000 men. Now, the reality is, is there was actually more than 5,000 people there. The Jews in those days counted only adult men. They didn't count women, and they didn't count children. So statistically speaking, the crowd could have been between 15 to 20,000 people if you add the women and the children, okay? I don't know if you realize this, but I want to try to help you get a perspective of this. The average NBA basketball game or the NBA stadium is packed with 17,870 people. That's the new average attendance of an NBA basketball team. So when you skim through, because I know there's no basketball fans in here, when you skim through the TV and you see all those people hollering at these guys chasing a round piece of pigskin and you think they're crazy, there's 17,800 something people in that crowd. That's the crowd that Jesus was getting ready to feed. Can you see it? Say that's a lot of people. That's more people than there are in Eunice, by the way. The city of Eunice only has about 10 10,008, maybe 11,000, somewhere in that area. That's, that's how many people live in Eunice, the city limits. So more people than Eunice are sitting while Jesus is teaching, and that's where we pick the story up. So do you see it? You see how many people? Let's say a lot of people. A lot of people. That is a lot. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages, watch this, keyword, and buy themselves something to eat. Say buy. So the disciples were were foresight. They had foresight. They were thinking ahead. Come on, let's give them some some gratitude here. They were looking at the crowd, uh, larger than Eunice, and they were saying, Lord, it's getting late. Uh, They're going to be hungry. There's not any food around. We're miles away from town. How about we shut this thing down, send them back to these villages so that they can buy themselves something to eat. That was the perspective that the disciples had of the current situation they were in. Making sense? So they they saw 17, roughly 17,000 people. It's getting late. They're going to be hungry. Lord, let's send them away so they can buy themselves something to eat. That's what they said. They were acting out of their perspective and out of their own thinking. Watch this. But he answered, you give them something 
to eat. Almost laughable. Think about that. If Jesus was here and the whole city of Eunice and Basil and maybe a little bit of Peron was here. And we were like, Lord, it's getting late. Let them go to KFC and buy themselves something to eat. He would say, nah, you give them something to eat. I would have reacted. <laughs> it was a good one. Yeah. So when we, when we shutting this down. Like, seriously, like, come on, that's funny, Lord. Seriously, that's funny. Almost a laughable thing. You give them something to eat. They responded. They said, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Are you hearing the scarcity in their mind? Can you see this? Are you seeing and hearing the scarcity in their mind? It's coming out of their mouth. Are you serious? Like this is going to take a half year's wages. I mean, like, like, like really? You really want us to go spend that much money on these people? Jesus responds, he says, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see, he says. When they found out, they said, we got five. Oh, and we got two sakale. We got five French breads and two sakale. Two mud cats. It doesn't matter what kind of fish. Two sharks. It doesn't matter. There's still not enough to feed the people, Right? The bread could have been as long as the building. Five loaves would have been enough. It, wouldn't have not, it would have never been enough to feed these people. But look how Jesus responds. He says, you give them something to eat. Then they automatically said what they didn't have. Come on, that, that, there's, a, there's a deep truth right there. When God speaks to you to go and help somebody, if the first response that you have in your mind, in your emotions, is well, on what you don't have, then then. You got a scarcity mindset. I'm sorry if that hurts, but I just, it's the truth. If the first thing you think of is what you don't have, then you got an issue. There's an issue there, and you got to go, okay, there's something wrong with my heart. There's something wrong with my thinking. If the first thing I think of is, I don't have enough. What did Jesus say? Go and see what you got. To me, that's probably the two most powerful words in that whole story. Go and see what you got. Sometimes we get so focused on what we don't have that we forget about what we do have. We forget about what we do have. We're not going to make it. We're not going to, we can't afford, we're not going to be able to pay this. I can't, I can't tithe. I can't afford to tithe. I can't give to God. I can't return his back to him. It just, it's not going to happen. And we get all worked up inside. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You get all worked up inside because you're living in this thing that says, I don't have enough. I'll never have enough. And if that's the way you think, then listen to me. If it doesn't change, you'll never have enough. How many of you want to live with that? How many of you want to live with that the rest of your life? Like, I'm always lacking. Woe is me. 
And the whole time we're supposed to be serving the God of more than enough. How weird does that look? As Christians, we go, man, God is so incredible. I don't have enough. Well, no wonder the world don't want to come to Christ because they're like, well, shoot, man, y'all complaining, y'all broke, and you never have enough. Why do I need to change what I'm doing? To go follow a God that's going to leave me broke, busted, and disgusted. You give them something to eat was Jesus' response. They gave him excuses. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. I wonder if God is telling some of us today, won't you just look at what you got and stop looking at what you don't got? I was bad English, but we're in the units. That would have really worked well in Franklin, even better. But Stop looking at what you don't have. Won't you just go look and see what you got? What do you have? They were thinking buy. Jesus was thinking give. Scarcity says there's not enough. We don't have enough to feed ourselves. We don't have enough to feed these people. It's a laughable thing. The problem in front of us is laughable. There's no way we could ever meet this need. Listen to me. What Were they thinking crazy? No. That was actually probably rational thinking. I've got five loaves, Lord, and two sakale, and there's 17,000 people. <laughs> Ain't happening. Right? We've all been in circumstances where We've had to fight those thoughts, or maybe we just lost the battle. <laughs> I just tell you, there's been times I've just been like, you tripping. I ain't got that kind of money. Just to be honest with you, we've all faced that. We've all gone through that, right? Where we've gotten scared about what we don't have. It's a never enough kind of mindset. Abundance thinking says this, that there's more than enough. Jesus viewed what was available through a, 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 a different lens than what the disciples did. Jesus saw the situation different than the disciples. They were looking at what they didn't have. We don't have enough. Jesus says you got more than enough. That's a word for some of you today. You might be thinking you don't have enough. Jesus is saying you have more than enough. You have more than enough. Matthew 14, 20 says, same story, different gospel. It says they all ate, say all. 17,000 people ate, every one of them ate. Not only did they eat and were satisfied. Now to me, there's three kinds of eating. If you're trying to lose weight, it's not much eating. If you're Got an ounce of self-control, you go eat till you're satisfied, right? Till you've had enough and you go, okay, I can leave some in the plate. I was raised with the mindset, you don't ever leave the plate full or with any, you don't ever, you don't ever return a plate that's not empty. That's the way I, how many of you were raised that way? You better clean that plate, boy. I still hear those words when there's rice and gravy and there's a little bit, two rice and a drip of gravy. I'll, I'll lick it up, get it all up in my beard, save some for later. 
And I, and I don't know what to And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I got a weight problem. I can't quit. I can't leave nothing in the plate. Well, my mom and them screwed me up. It's their fault. I'm an adult. I don't have to have responsibility. They ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. They had leftovers. Come on, that's good stuff right there. Five loaves, two fish. The math doesn't make sense. Jesus said, just give me what you got. And he does the impossible. And they're picking up leftovers from his situation. Twelve baskets to be exact. I've chewed on this story for a long time. And I, and I so bad want to know when the miracle actually happened. I'm like, did it happen when they gave it to Jesus? Did it happen when Jesus blessed it? Did it happen when Jesus put it in their hands? Did it happen as they were distributing it to the people? Like, like they had a basket with 12 pieces of bread and uh, feed 12 people. And, and 30 people later, they're like, I, I, I just want to know where the, where the miracle happened. Because I'd love to just say, man, the miracle happened in a basket, right? Man, the miracle happened when they ate it. I mean, like, did God make it like the bread so chewy that they were just sick of eating it? I mean, what, what happened? These are just thoughts that run through my mind. <laughs> I told you to pray for me. They viewed what they had as not enough. Jesus viewed it as more than enough. You see, we got to come to a clear understanding that God doesn't see things the way we see them. Look at your neighbor and say, God don't see like you see. I know you're learning bad English today. It's okay. You'll still be safe on Monday. But listen to me. God doesn't calculate like we calculate. He doesn't see things like we see things. Stop trying to put God in your mind and try to get your mind set on God. And start seeing things his way. And not your way. Maybe that's our biggest problem is that we just get boxed into our own minds and our own natural perspective. Five loaves and two fish don't feed 17,000 people. No way, any day, never going to happen. Well, that's a human mindset. God's not a human. The Bible says he's a spirit. He's the creator of everything that we live on and enjoy. His ways are greater than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I wonder if the greatest challenge we ever have is to try and gain God's perspective on things and let go of ours. What if we walk out of here today and go, you know what? I'm not going to lean on my old perspective anymore. I'm not going to lean on my old thinking anymore. Lord, renew my mind. Give me the mind of Christ. Help me to see things the way you see them. I wonder if Christianity wouldn't become a little more fun if we started to see things the way God sees them instead of the way we see them. It's called getting out of yourself. It's going, Lord, blow my mind up. Give me a new perspective. Help me to think outside of this head, this skull. I need bigger thinking, Lord. Scarcity, ask, what can I afford? Abundance, ask, 
what do I have? I was, uh, yesterday, my son and I were going to do a little project, and we were running behind. I know none of you run behind. We're supposed to meet a guy at 8 o'clock, and it's late, and I'm out of diesel. I stopped by Lowe's. I'm in Crowley. So when you're running behind, you've got to pay for higher-priced diesel. I hate it. So I pull up at this gas pump. Guy pulls in next to me, gets out the car, says, hey, man. Before I can even get out of the truck, like, hey, man, can I talk to you? And so I get out of the truck. I like to play with people sometimes. I'll get out and kind of do the big thing. You know, I'll be like. Because this dude was big. I got out of the truck. He's like, blank, you big. I was like, yeah. yeah I had to let him know. <laughs> and it was early in the morning. I didn't know this. Anyway. Starts to give me this story. You've run into these people before. He's a beggar. Yo, man, look, I got a, I, I, I got a problem, man. I need a little help, man. You know, and they, and they give it to you so fast. I'm like, bro, if I could help you, I couldn't even understand what you need. But he's just giving me this story, and I'm like, I'm sad to say I'm, I'm starting to become numb to some of that. And so he's, he's spilling on me, spilling on me, giving me all the excuses. I'm a man of God. I go to church, blah, 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 blah. And I, I'm, I thought running through my mind. I didn't believe God for it. <laughs> And he goes, I need 40-something dollars. I'm thinking, bro, that's the, that's the water bill. <laughs> so I just, I had my wallet in my hand. I said, tell you what, and I don't ever give people just cash. You need groceries, I'll buy you groceries. You need gas, I'll buy you gas. I don't hardly ever give people cash. Flipped open my wallet, five and two ones. This is what I have. I gave it to him. So here you go, bro. I got seven bucks. I was expecting him to complain because then I might have punched him. But he didn't. He said, thank you. And we shook hands and he walked off, got in his car. I'm putting the pump in my neck. Another beggar comes to him. The beggar got begged by another beggar. So this cat rolls up on his bicycle. Yo, man, I need some money, man. You got some money? He told him No. I was like, that's messed up. I just gave you seven bucks. You could have split it with the brother. But you see his mindset? I don't have enough for me. I can't help you. I was like, "Mm -mm mm-mm-mm. If I didn't have to be somewhere, chase you down, take my $7 back, and give it to the cat on the bicycle. Stingy. That's a scarcity mindset. I don't have enough for me. I can't help you. What did Jesus want from those disciples? Did he want something just ridiculous? Did he ask them to have something that they could have never possessed? What did he ask for? What do you have? All we're responsible for is what we have. You can't give him what you don't have. You just give him what you have and he does the miracle with what you have. But if you never give what you have, the miracle never takes place. And then we become bored little Christians. Right? I've heard people say, well, you know, Pastor Man, when I start making more money and my bank account gets a little bigger, I'm going to start being generous. I'm going to start when I have more. Let me tell you something. That's false hope. 
Because the truth is, the more we make as Americans, the more money we make, the tighter our grip gets. Isn't that amazing? Well, I'm going to give more when I get more. Oh, really? Is that biblical? Is that God honoring? The reality is, is when you get more, you're going to hold on a little tighter. Come on, you know it's true. I'm going to give when I, when I got X amount of dollars in the bank. I'm going to give when I got this. I'm going to give when. I'm going to give when. That's like saying I'm going to get skinny one day when food quit tasting so good. I figured I had to move to Alaska to lose weight. I'm not going to lose weight in South Louisiana. If we view life through the lens of scarcity, we'll always be fearful and we'll always be anxious. Fearful and anxious. But here's the truth. Jesus has a much different plan for us. A much different plan. John 10.10 says this, that the, the thief comes. Who's the thief? The devil. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's making a comparison between himself and the thief. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life, right? Jesus came that we could have life. Then not just regular life. He says, and have it, what? Abundantly. Say abundantly. Jesus came to give you life abundantly. That's above and beyond normal life. Shake a head, move a leg, something. I I need some response this morning. Jesus said, the thief steals from you, he kills you, and he destroys you. I come to give you life and and so that you'll have this life abundantly. You see, everything about God is extravagant, it's excessive, and it's more than enough. It's more than enough. It's who God is. But why do so many of us miss out? On God's abundant life. I'll give you two reasons why I believe. This is just two of many reasons why I believe we miss out on God's abundant life. It's because we don't believe that number one, God multiplies what is blessed. God multiplies what is blessed. Mark chapter 6, 40 to 41. It says, they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed The food. Who blessed it? Come on, y'all awake. Who blessed the food? Jesus blessed the food. They gave Jesus what they had. He lifted it towards heaven and he blessed the food. He can only bless what you give. Can't bless what you don't give. If they never put the bread and the sakale in his hands, it never gets blessed and it never multiplies. Right? God can only help you with what you give. Man, you got to see this this morning. If you live tight-fisted, if you live tight-handed and you hang on to everything because this may be your last meal, God can't bless that. How can he give you more if you live like this? As Christians, we're not called to live like this. We're called to live like this. 
Lord, put something in this hand. I'm going to sow it in the ground. And then you're going to put something else in this hand. And I'm going to sow it in the ground. Some people are in love with being millionaires. I'm like, why are you selling yourself short? God can pass more than millions through your hands. Amen? So what if you don't get to hang on to it and claim it as your own? It Just let it pass through my hands. Right? He can't bless what we don't give. God multiplies what is blessed. He can't multiply what's not blessed. Malachi 3.10 says this. Bring the whole tithe, say the whole, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So many of us think that 10% of our income is the tithe. That's not true. 10% of your income is not your tithe. The first 10% of your income is the tithe. Why? Because it's first. That went over like a, like a brick. Your last 10% is not a tithe. Come on, somebody. It doesn't take faith to tithe your last 10%. It takes faith and trust in God to tithe your first 10%. He's the God of the first. He wants to be first in your life. How do you show him that he's first? You give to him first. And then you trust him with the rest. Right? It's the first. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. God must be first. And here's, here's the clue. When you put God first, he blesses the rest. Come on. When you put him last, he can't bless what you've already hung on to. Right? Give him his first, return back to him. That's what you're doing. You're just returning back to him what he's already given to you. Return to him first and let him bless the rest of it. 90% blessed goes further than 100% unblessed. Right? How many of you want God to bless your stuff? To bless your life? Here's the rest of that verse. Trust me or test me. In this, the only place in the Bible Jesus says to test me. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. The floodgates of where? Floodgates of where? Where's those floodgates? Oh, that's heavenly floodgates. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. What's in heaven? Good stuff. Very well put. Good stuff. Everything that you need is in heaven. Abundance is in heaven. And pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. The word floodgate was only mentioned three times in the Bible. In Malachi, I think in Kings, and then the first time it was mentioned was in the book of Genesis. How many of you know when the floodgate was mentioned in the book of Genesis? It's when Noah was building a boat, nobody had ever seen rain, and God brought the flood, right? The Bible says that the flood actually covered every piece of dry land on the entire earth. 
Think, get your mind around that. There was not a single piece of dry land on the planet Earth. When God opens a floodgate, baby, he opens a floodgate. Right? That's the same floodgate that he's talking about in Malachi. So watch and see. Test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour more on you than you have room to store. Why do we give? Not to get the floodgates. We give because we love God and we're returning back to him and he's first in my life. The results of putting him first in my life is that these floodgates get opened up from heaven and I get more than enough than I can even store. You see in this, let me broaden your mind. It's not just about money. There's more than money in heaven, y'all. There's healing in heaven. There's redemption in heaven. Relationships are stored in heaven. There's miracles in heaven. Come on, somebody. There's health in heaven. When God says he's going to open up the floodgates of heaven, he's not just going to shortchange you with some money. Get your mind off of that. He's not going to just give you money. He's going to give you A great marriage. He's going to give you a restored relationship with people that has been broken. He's going to transform your life. It's bigger than just money. Are you seeing this? It's the floodgates of heaven. See, that's a lot. (laughs) Man, that's a lot. Last or two weeks ago when we preached the first message on putting God first, uh, I talked very clearly of the importance of putting God first in your life and, and I had several phone calls that week. It just really blessed me. One of the phone calls I got, I'm not going to mention the name, God calls me, he says, he says, hey, pastor, I got to tell you a story. And he says, uh, you know, I, I've, been, I've been given every Sunday that we're, that we're at church and, you know, I normally put X amount of dollars in the plate. So cool. He said, but what I realized, he said, uh, first thing he told me was my message condemned him. So I said, well, not con- condemn, maybe convict, but he straightened all that out. And I said, and he said, I- I- I'd been putting money in the plate. And, and after that message, I realized I wasn't bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. I wasn't tithing off of my income. So the Holy Spirit convicted him during that message is what happened. So that Sunday, he writes a whole tithe check. We're putting God first now. Writes a whole tithe check. He says, you're not going to believe what happened the rest of the week. I got a job that I wasn't supposed to get for several thousand dollars. They told me no, couldn't have the job, and then I got the job. I signed papers on a building I've been trying to buy for a long time. The guy wouldn't sell me. And then there was another thing he had told me, and I was like, dang. Then I had another girl call me. She said, Pastor... I, I, I'm, I'm injured. I can't work for a while. And, and I was kind of worried about my income. Single lady. She's like, I don't know. You know, I was, I was worried. I wasn't going to have enough. And I, but I tithe the whole tithe. And, and workman's comp called me and they're going to pay me what I normally make, not just a percentage, but what I normally make. I can't, I can't believe it. I had to call you and tell you. You see, what happens when you give to God first with a pure heart, not reluctant, not because of pressure, when you give to him first, he does incredible things with the rest. Somebody say amen. Lord. He blesses the rest. 
How do you know, Pastor? I've been living that way for 18 years. God wants to give you more than multiplied money. He wants to give you an abundant life. Number two, God multiplies what is given away. Matthew 14, 9 says, He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. You see, in God's economy, we give. What you need, you give it away. It's very strange when you read your Bible because it's so countercultural. It so goes against the grain of what society believes today. God says, you want to save your life? Lose it. <laughs> that don't make sense. You want to have abundant? Give it. Huh? You see, you see what I'm saying? God's different than the world. He said he gave to the disciples and the disciples gave to the people. I don't know where the miracle happened. I think it happened when they gave. That's my, that's my conclusion until I get to see Jesus one day. I think the miracle happened when they gave. I think they kept reaching into the basket and it never ran dry. It's my, my, my thoughts. You can believe what you want. That's where I think the miracle happened. It was in the basket. As they gave. See, strange things happen in God's economy and in God's world. When we give of ourselves, there's always mysteriously more to give. I can't explain it. I can't even wrap my mind around it. But in God's world, when we give time, talent, treasure, energy, effort, wisdom, skills, whatever you want to say. When we give, there's always more to give. Had a boss that came to church one time. Didn't even get saved, but he tithed. The full tithe. Came to church for three months. He looks at me one day at the job site. He goes, Blue, I've always lived paycheck to paycheck. I heard that tithe message one day. And so I decided to tithe. He said, I've been tithing for three months. I had no clue he was doing this. He said, I've been tithing for three months. You know, I got money left in my account. Now that I'm giving 10% away. I didn't do this in front of him. But in my spirit, I was going, poo yeah. Now you're getting a taste of God. That's how great God is. When we give ourselves, when we give our resources, when we give even our money, it's so much bigger than money. When you give your energy to God, he gives you more. When you're trying to store your energy, you run out. God multiplies what's given away. Let me wrap this up. There was a time... Some of you heard this story. There was a time I was children's pastor years and years ago. I was working in kinder. I needed some money to buy the kids blow pops. I wanted to give them blow pops on a Wednesday night. I said, on the way to church, I said, Lord, I need some money for blow pops. 
Sounds silly, doesn't it? Lord, I need some blow pop money. That's how I prayed. I got out of my car. The boss said, hey, come here. I'm walking down the side of this road. I looked down. There's a $20 bill that said blow pop money. I picked up the $20 bill, didn't ask any questions, put it in my pocket because that was blow pop money. Right? I don't care if the boss dropped it. He just seeded something. That's blow pop money. Put it in my pocket. After work, bought blow pops for the kids and had a great time. God taught me so much through finances and giving. I don't have enough time to tell you all that he's taught me of his generosity and his love for me. And he's not looking for my stuff. God's not in love with your stuff. God's in love with your heart. And that's the thing you got to walk out of here with today is that God's in love with your heart. If you'll give him all of you first, he'll give you more than you can ever contain. Come on. If you'll give him your time, talent, treasure, and abilities, he'll give you more than you can contain. You'll live an abundant life. Proverbs eleven twenty four to 25 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Wow. I heard an old timer say one time, whatever you need, give it away. And watch what God does. God never intended for us to be reservoirs. He intends for us to be conduits. A reservoir holds things back and stores things up. A conduit allows things to pass through. God's going to reach the world around you, and he wants to reach the world around you through you. He wants you to be a conduit. If God's touched your marriage, if God's healed your body, if he's saved your life, whatever God's done in your life, he wants to use that to do in other people's lives. You're a conduit. He touched you to touch many more. Matthew 6, 31 says this last verse. Hear what Jesus says. He says, so don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? That was a word for all the women. The men were what we eat. For pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now watch this. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. In other words, don't worry about your own life. That's what he's saying. Don't worry about those things. Just seek me first. Seek me and seek my righteousness first. And then I will what? Allow you to earn those things? No. I will give you those things. 
Trust me. Trust me. Trust me, not yourself. Trust me, not your talent. Trust me, not your business, not your job, not the economy, definitely not the president. Trust me, and I'm going to take care of you. You see the exchange? I give him my anxiousness, my worry, and my fear, and he meets all my needs. Wow. Why would we not do that? So what is he saying to us today? I got more than enough. You just use what you have. Whatever you have, just use that. And I'll make a miracle out of it. And you'll have a story to tell.